you freaking auto? This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> All right, we roll along here. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports app. And just a, a really, really terrible weekend for the Mariners. Uh, I know we're going to take some phone calls a little bit later and uh, we'll try to talk with the people a little bit. I know there's a lot of frustration out there. Uh, I'll vent some of mine as well. I don't like judging effort. I don't want to judge effort. I think it's really hard to know who's trying hard and who's not. It's very hard to know what's in someone's heart, what's in their mind. It's hard to judge those things. Same way it's hard to judge injury. But watching this Mariner team right now, they look like a dead-ass team. That's what they look like. I, I don't know how else to say it. That's what they look like. Yeah, Dead team walking. They look like they're sleepwalking. They look like they're going through the motions. They look like there's something wrong with them. I, like, I don't know what else to say after watching them this weekend and really for the last week or so, and at times throughout this season, even though there have been moments where they've played well and I think they have enough talent that it has carried them to some wins, right? They're like a 500 team. But they look like they're sleepwalking. Sometimes that happens when a team doesn't hit, right? We've talked about that. It's hard to look active it's hard to look like you're trying hard when you're not hitting and obviously that's been a problem for them this year but it doesn't explain everything that's not enough to explain why they look dead the give up factor they have when things go awry seems too strong the base running errors we saw them friday night night. two 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 outs on the bases in one inning can't happen can't happen Absolute no-no, especially when you've already created a thin margin for error. Can't have it. The issues in big moments late in games where they have gotten small instead of the last few years where they've gotten better. Can't happen. Dead team. Right? Sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. Not a team that, that is that is up for its own challenge right now. And And when I watch them, I think the word that I wanted to focus on is focus. They don't have it. They don't have enough focus. They don't seem consistently focused on the each pitch, on the task at hand, especially at the plate. I don't know why. I don't know to blame the players, blame the messaging, blame the receptiveness to the messaging. I don't know what it is. Players that have had success in the past are not having it right now. I don't know why. Too many weak at-bats. Too many non-competitive at-bats. Too many situations where you're not focusing every single pitch, which is what it takes to win in Major League Baseball today. They used to make life hard on opposing pitchers. They're not doing that. They're taking okay pitchers, sometimes good ones, sometimes less, and allowing them to get comfortable. And those were hallmarks of this team last year in exactly the opposite way. Well, that's your core philosophy, right? Control the zone. They're now not doing that. Four guys in the top ten in strikeouts. It, 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 and and they will strike out. That's okay, but not like this. 
it, they are going to have high strikeout rates. When you control the zone, some of that will happen. Because what that means, and Shannon's explained to us before, is that some of those pitches on the edges, you take them rather than trying to do something with them. And there's not really well, much to be done. Top 10? So you're, you're going you're gonna to strike out some. But it's supposed to come with the walks. It's yeah. supposed to come with all of the positives that go with it. And those aren't there. Yes, they're striking out too much. I, I, I'm not arguing against that. But I, I do think controlling the zone will uh, will cause strikeouts to occur. They will probably be a higher strikeout team. But do you feel like they look like they're controlling the zone? No, absolutely okay. not. <laughs> no, sure. I, I, no, I'm saying they, they're not <laughs> controlling the zone. But it's not just because of the strikeouts. It's because of the walks. And it's because of the non-competitive at-bats that are going on during those, those uh, moments. They're also not taking advantage of the mistakes. Because they're not singularly focused pitch after pitch with a level of consistency that they need. The at-bats are weak. The leads are weak. The at-bats are weak. If I could quote Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. They don't make life hard on the opposition. And I know they're working hard. I'm not questioning effort necessarily. I'm not going to challenge their effort level. But the aura around them is not right. The energy around them is not right. The focus, as I said, is lacking. And the results have put them in a position where they, if they don't get going now, it's going to be too late. It's not too late yet. It's bad. It's dire. But it's not too late yet. Right. But it's getting to be really, really close. And if they continue to sleepwalk the way they have, it's absolutely going to be too late very quickly because they're not playing a version of baseball that is recognizable based on what we saw last year. Why? I don't know. That's the question. If we could figure out why I think that there would be a, a, a solution. Sure. I don't know Maybe why others. players who have, have consistently performed in one way are now not doing that. In the only experience that I had playing, and obviously not past college, when our teams were playing so badly and you were in such a hole so deep, it all came down to belief. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't believe in each other. You didn't believe in a coach. You didn't believe in um, the guy behind you to pick you up. You, and everybody tried too hard. And then you didn't look like you were trying at all. Now, the good thing is belief can change, right? That's not who you are as a team or a player. But if you don't believe for long enough, mm-hmm. you can pack it up. And well, that's right. That's what it's been. That's teams that I've played and I've done that. And I've also been on teams that have changed where the beginning of the season was that way. And then it turned into the exact opposite of everyone felt cohesive and like the, finally the puzzle pieces fit. But if it doesn't change, it does it, make you wonder sometimes, Justin, when you say that, first of all, I, I totally agree. And I think belief is a very important word. I had written trust down here on my little show sheet, but belief is, is very much in the same vein. And it's funny if you go back to the be, the end of not last year, but the year before was a 2021. That was their, that was, that was the their thing. call. Yeah. Believe, yeah. believe, Believe and believe, Ted Lasso yeah. and all of that, right? And the believe sign, everybody had them up around here. That's what made them so likable is their belief in each other and themselves as a team, despite everybody saying they couldn't do it, or, you know, not here in Seattle, but elsewhere. And then they really carried that into last year. And honestly, we were all down at spring training. It sure felt like it carried right into this year yeah, it did. until they started playing games. And then all of that seemed to have gone away two months later. So I, I'm not going to sit here and blame chemistry because I think that that chemistry tends to need 
production in order to be solidified. But after two months of underwhelming and at times unacceptable lack of production, I think now the belief is waning. I think now you you are looking at a team that is sleepwalking and looks like they're going through the motions. And I, I don't know whether at the beginning they thought they could cruise control because they'd done it last year. I don't know if the weight of the expectations were too much for them. Right, We were talking about Rose Zhang earlier, the young LPGA golfer who just won her first ever start at age 20. With all the expectations in the world on her, she went out and did it. The same way she did in all of the various amateur tournaments she won. She is a Tiger Woods-like figure who has taken enormous expectations and said, that's fine, no big deal. That's rare in today's version of, of sports and today's athletes. We watch these things all the time where, where favorites crumble when they have big leads, et cetera. And, and Brock and I have had numerous conversations on it. I don't know if it was the expectations. I don't know if it was the, the lack of veteran leadership, letting Carlos Santana, Mitch Hanniger go. Well, I think that at least one of those moves is defensible in terms of what you did on paper. I don't know what it did to the mix of people in that locker or in that clubhouse and and the way they were able to get through the tough situations. So it's ugly. It's bad. It hurts. It, it absolutely hurts. And I don't know what they do to get themselves out of it. I don't know what they do to, to turn this around. And I don't think it's too late yet. I'm not saying it's early and everything is fine, but it's not quite too late. You're only five and a half games back in the wild card. You can get this thing going again and, and get to where you need to go. But if you continue to sleepwalk, if you continue to be the zombie Mariners, if you continue to look as if you don't care, if you continue to look as if you're unfocused, most specifically, that's not going to get it done. And this will end up being not an unlikable collection of individuals, but one of the more unlikable Mariner teams that they've ever put out there. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Absolute abject disaster for the Mariners this weekend. Will it be a death knell? Well, that's really up to them. So one thing they couldn't do. They couldn't get swept, and that's exactly what they did. Except they didn't just get swept. They got their doors blown off in every single way, certainly on Saturday and Sunday. We're not playing, you know, winning baseball against the top flight teams they are a top flight team based on the start they're off to this year and you have to give them credit again it's one of the best offenses we've seen all year so a uh, ton of credit there and on the flip side you know we didn't pitch our best or play our best in this series so it's really a combination of both yeah it's a very good offense they shut them down when they were here a couple of weeks ago but if you're not going to pitch you're not going to hit you're not going to play smart baseball you're going to get your doors blown off and that's exactly what happened to them uh the offense of course continued to be an issue you know certainly it's been a struggle for us to put runs up consistently at any point for the season we've had stretches here or there and we start to get it going a little bit but uh um, it's up and down the lineup you know that's that's what it takes um you know if you're not hitting a ton of home runs um it just takes consistent at bats and and um you know we need to get it going. There's no question about that. Um, again, it's it's not for lack of effort. 
I think, you know, when you're not hitting, it looks like you're not trying. Uh, I think guys are trying, we're not executing. Whether it's getting the guy in from third, whether it's having a, a really good at bat, you know, in a critical part of the game, it's not going our way. We have to do better in those situations. Yeah, they may be trying. I don't think anybody's going to question that, but they look dead. They look like they're not focused. And I think that that may be a bit of a, 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 a different way of looking at some of their issues. Details wise, Close shutout loss on Friday. Luis Castillo was very good, but it wasn't enough. Blown out Saturday, 16-6. to Brian Wu just rocked in his Major League debut. And then it was 12-3 yesterday. A whooping to finish off the weekend. Bryce Miller knocked out early for the second straight game. What happens next? They go to San Diego and then Anaheim. An opportunity to try to get this season going again. But a lot of promise when this season began. And right now, it has never gotten, gotten untracked. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, just to uh, add some injuries to that, that's not been a great part of this uh, week either. Marco Gonzalez missed his start on Saturday with forearm soreness. That could be a non-issue or could be the precursor to Tommy John surgery. We don't know yet, and we'll find out probably tomorrow. No way to know in the meantime. Chris Flexen sure hasn't done anything to show he needs to be back in the rotation so and more i thought you were absolutely right about this earlier questioning what it's going to be like to go with such a young group in your starting rotation young players generally are less consistent and that's been the one thing that you knew you could count on with this team throughout the season so obviously a problem going forward no sign yet of dylan moore or andres munoz there is a possibility that both could be back on the roster when they get to san diego tomorrow and then just to add a little extra jp crawford went out with an injury and didn't play yesterday yeah it's banged it's a contusion thing i think he's going to be be okay we'll have to wait and see how it is you know for tomorrow's game but uh yeah, there were, but unfortunately, this is another one that kind of went against them. Uh, I don't think it's going to be too serious. And honestly, injury has really not been the problem for this team this year. They've been reasonably healthy. Yeah, that's a few, but it has not been a major issue for them. That's, uh, I guess, yet another issue with why this team has played so badly so far. Here's the third thing you need to know. All right, big week for the Seahawks. They start their mandatory mini camp practices tomorrow. A little more serious than what we've seen so far, but they're still not going to have any of the scrimmaging or the hitting of training camp. Uh, But for some of those young players, hopefully they're starting to get it. Ken Walker, who was a rookie here a year ago, said he certainly understands things a lot better now. It's much easier. You know, I know the plays. I know what what to expect on offense and versus the defense, so... It's much easier. My head's not spinning from when I first got here. Yeah, well, does that mean that these rookies are going to get it yet? For him, it took a little bit longer. Probably the Chargers game was the, really when everything slowed down. You know, after the first start versus uh, Cardinals, it was fine. But then the Chargers game is when I, I felt real comfortable. Yeah, so it takes a little while, and uh, the more opportunities these guys have to work at it, the better. Tough end for the Husky softball team. Great run, but they uh, beat Utah Friday, then lose two straight to Florida State and Stanford, so they have been eliminated. And just a great, great weekend in golf. Victor Hovland winning the Memorial in a playoff yesterday over Denny McCarthy. Stacked field, but today, this is the best part of the story, he's caddying. For his college teammate and good buddy for 36 holes in U.S. Open qualifying, the so-called longest day in golf, he is out there caddying for his buddy. Now he's the number five player in the world. Pretty amazing. And then Stanford's women's star Rose Zhang turned pro just last week. This weekend, she played in her first tournament. And, of course, she won it yesterday in also a playoff 
Took her till the second hole. Uh, that's the Missoula Women's Open. She is the first LPGA player in 72 years to win her debut on tour. It last happened in 1951. Unbelievable. And she's awesome. If you get a chance to watch her, she's not playing this weekend, but she'll play the following weekend. She did accept a tour card, which she got for winning yesterday. All right, that's everything you need to know. And we do that quarter past every hour. We are having some uh, bra connection issues this morning. I'm sorry about that. For those who are wondering where Brock is and saying, oh, he never shows up here anyway. So it probably shouldn't sound all that different. But I did promise him and now he's not here and I feel bad about that. But uh, maybe he's on the giant yacht and that's the you the think artifact. so. Yeah, it's just having some issues. Seems like the kind of place Brock would be. <laughs> What's it called again? Artifact? Artifact. 262 hmm. feet. You ever want to name a yacht? Uh, yes. And a matter of fact, we had this conversation. You have kind of a yacht name in mind? Well, no, we were at uh, the Ballard Locks and saw a yacht going through. Yeah. And it was from Mercer Island. And I don't think I can say it on the air because of what it sounds like. Uh, but I saw it and thought, that's probably the one I would have used. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But it's sort it's, of a... It started with she. Okay. And then it was a different, at, at the end of it, Okay, something else that sounded... Made the word sound like something. So you're else. not going to say it, but it, but it was sort of a clever. It was clever and I, play and I, on dirty words. Yes, and I really thought it was funny, and wow. that made me think like that's probably if I were going to do something like that, I'm going to make it annoying. Hmm. Yeah, that seems <laughs> so. Like... I can get on the radio and say who I am <laughs> because <laughs> because having a giant yacht isn't look it at me enough. enough yes. You need you need to also have some sort of 100%. a dirty play on words 100%. in order to let people know that you really need to when be I, looked at. When I lived on a houseboat, my times. next door neighbor had a yacht named Plum Duff, <laughs> and it had a garage in the back okay. of, the, of the yacht for a tiny version of Plum Duff to pop out of it so he could use that for his skiff to go to the restaurants. All right. (sighs) Good stuff. Uh, We will uh, be right back. Hopefully Brock will be with us. We do have more Mariner stuff to get to a little bit later in the show, but we'll take a break from it. We're going to talk a little football with the Seahawks uh, starting their mandatory mini camp tomorrow. Maybe Brock will be satisfied by who shows up. We'll find out. We'll try to have him on next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Of course, that just spawned a whole bunch of yacht names here in the text machine. 866-979-3776. That's the Mac and Jack's text line. Yachts of fun, I think, was probably the best one. Yahtzee. A lot of good yacht puns being made there. And, uh, hey, it'd be a nice uh, problem to have trying to figure out how to name your yacht. As I mentioned, we're having a little connection issue with Brock, but we'll see if we can grab him here in the next couple of minutes. And uh, I know he's excited to talk a little football. Crazy that we're already on to mandatory minicamp tomorrow. Now, again, this is not training camp yet, so it's not full 11 on 11, I don't think. I mean, there's no hitting or anything like that, but... Maybe we will get a little 11-on-11 11 because 11, that's sort of the one thing that was missing from uh, from the uh, voluntary workouts last week. And that would obviously be a blast. I right? get a chance to see what these offensive and defensive line looks like, who they throw out there. And I know they're not going to hit, but just getting it to see them kind of in motion, in action, I think is, uh, is going to be important. Again, I look at the Seahawks team and I like so much of what I see. Not everything. It's hard for me to look at them and say that they're going to be a Super Bowl contender yet, right? I think everything would need to go right in order for that to happen. Um, And I think they got a very challenging schedule, but their division is, I think, at least open. 
The Rams don't look like they're going to be very good. The Cardinals look like they have the possibility of being <laughs> one of the big disasters in nice. the NFL history. Underdogs in every game. No. I mean, they look terrible, 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 terrible. And so, you know, it's got like litigation, don't they? With that former employee that says that they, um, Sean McDonough's brother talk to the GM when he was suspended and take advice from it. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a mess in like three or four different ways, which is just hysterical. But, um, yeah. So your division has two teams that don't look to be particularly competitive and a third, which has a heck of a roster. I mean, maybe top three. In the NFL, right, if you're looking at sort of the roster in general, but a quarterback situation that is so bizarre, crazy, up in the air, and unreliable that it's difficult to know whether or not to trust the Niners, right? Is Brock Purdy going to be their starter? Sure, if he's healthy. Is he going to continue to build on what he did last year? Maybe. They were a really good team when he was playing and just sort of doing what they needed him to do. If he's not healthy or not able to go, can Sam Darnold do that? He's never shown that at the NFL level, but maybe with that much talent around him. I do feel like Shanahan is good at putting a quarterback in a situation where he's not going to have to do that much. He is. But yeah, Darnold has. But Darnold has never been that guy. (laughs) And and then the next and then your next option is is Trey Lance, who every time he has been in an NFL game has looked not ready for prime time. And now he's missed another full year worth of opportunities to try to get himself. So you do have an opening in front of you. You got a challenging schedule because you're not just playing your division. The rest of the schedule this year looks to be very challenging, but you're, you're, you're talented. You have talent up and down your roster, a quarterback who a year ago showed that he is, if not one of the NFL's elite part of the next group underneath that. You've shown that you've got a, a, an offensive line that is young, but has a couple of bookends on either side that may very well grow from where they were a year ago. And if they do, you're going to start seeing them on top 10 lists. You've got a wide receiving core that may very well be top three in the NFL. When you look at it as a whole. Yeah, I mean, only I can only think of the Bengals ahead of them, maybe. Jamar, of you and would. T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. I would put but the yeah, Bengals I mean, ahead of them. Yeah, yeah I would very, very as good much core. as I don't like to agree with you, I would like, say yes, the yeah, Bengals are ahead of them. Yeah, who else? Yeah, I would tend to agree top with two, that. Top three. Uh, and the Eagles that, are very good. Eagles are very good, yeah. Yeah, and A.J. Brown's all. Like, they're good, but in terms of their wide receiving core, is it better as a whole than the Seahawks? I don't know. Not if Jackson Smith and Jigba is everything he's supposed to be here with the number 20 pick. Well, yeah, I thought we were going off what we knew. They, they each, like, right now, they each have two stud receivers. Yeah, I guess I'm using, I'm throwing Smith and Jigba in there. I, I have that much faith in who he is and who he's been, and and maybe that's dumb because he's a rookie. Not only is he a rookie, but a rookie wide receiver. That might be dumb. That might be really stupid, but whatever. I mean, it's mm-hmm. only uh, it's only June, so yeah, I feel I comfortable with definitely it. Definitely think they're they're thinking he's going to be a big part of what they do. I think so. Yeah, and oh yeah, the Dolphins throw them on yeah, the list as well with Waddle Tyreke and Tyreek, and, and yeah. that's a that's a really good you know group. Okay, so what top three? Top four to go with a pretty good quarterback situation to go with an offensive line that's improving. And oh, by the way, a running back room that I think is poised to be very good also. So they should have a top 10, top seven offense. That doesn't mean they're going to put up that many yards, but I think they should put up points, which is more important. Mm -hmm. And I think they should pass the eye test. 
I don't think that they're going to put their team in a in an awful position <clears throat> like we've seen at times in the past. So I feel reasonably good about their offense. And that's where that conversation ends. And so I feel really, really good about their offense. And by the way, based on my track record, we should all expect the Seahawks to have a Legion of Boom style defense this year and an offense that can't carry its own water. But I mean, like, you know, whatever. I I just I look at the defense and say they're making a couple of bets that might work. And if they do, they'll be fine. But. There's some gambles. Sure. I think you're gambling that Draymond Jones is going to be enough, along with Jaron Reed, to fix an off a defensive line, rather, that needed even more than that. I think you're gambling that bringing back Bobby Wagner is going to fix a run-stopping problem that was big last year. I think you're gambling that Boye Mafe and Derek Hall and Daryl Taylor and some Chenna. of these young Chen is the one guy I kind of trust oh, in that okay. group. I just say, all right, he's a veteran. I kind of know who he is, but you're, you're betting on growth from Boye Mafe. You're betting on growth from Daryl Taylor. You're betting that Derek Hall is going to be, you know, serviceable, if not better right off the bat. That's a lot of betting on. Right. That's a lot of hope. And then you're betting on Jamal Adams coming back and being healthy. You're betting on your corners, helping your safeties be able to stop the run and then them staying healthy, even if they're sort of playing a hybrid linebacker position. That's a lot of bets. Yeah. And it might work. I mean, like if those things go the right way, if Boye Mafe does take a step and Jamal Adams is healthy and is disruptive, and if this cornerback situation is so good that it allows everybody else to kind of play more freely and Draymond Jones turns out to be the guy that they they wanted at 18 million dollars a year. It could work. I mean like the, it, I see a path for this defense to be excellent. But I think there's a lot of ifs and buts and hopes you that are going to need to be right. fulfilled in order for that to happen. But I do think if we're contrasting the Seahawks were like Bet, way better than everyone expected given the, the Russell Wilson trade last mm-hmm. year. I mean, we thought it was going to be a rebuild, and they kind of are rebuilding on the fly. So while I think we're all a little disappointed that maybe they didn't find some stud defensive tackles that are going to make us feel a little bit better, like even if what they do this year is get some of those young guys in there and get them experience and come out of it stronger next year, I don't know if that's really a loss. It's it's probably not going to be as fun to watch. Right. <laughs> Right, but, but is this we still do need a, to consider that they yeah. were kind of rebuilding on the fly? Is this still a building year? And and Pete obviously would never want to hear the words no. rebuilding, but let's just put the word building in there. Is this another building year for the Seahawks where maybe they'll be competitive while building? Maybe. I, I think the challenge I have with that is just the is just the like you know, look, I like Gino and I, I think he's a good quarterback. Are you building it up to to kind of have the next guy? I, you know, I, don't, I don't know about all that, but I do think Pete's shown that he's got a system that tries to kind of minimize the needs of, of a quarterback. That's part of their goal. They're trying to minimize the importance, the stress, the the pressure put on a guy who is playing the most important position in all of sports. And I think it's one of the reasons they were able to have success with Geno last year. I, you know, Greg Bishop, we were talking about him earlier, right? And Greg, uh, you know, one thing he said last week absolutely blew up. That was about Russell Wilson and Philadelphia and all of that. That became like a, a big story. 
But I'm not sure that the most interesting he said wasn't that all quarterbacks are system quarterbacks. That was a really good point he made. He's like, I'm sick of hearing system quarterback, system quarterback. All quarterbacks are system quarterbacks. It's just a matter of finding the right system and what they do once they're in it. And I think what Pete has always tried to do is to build and devise a system that makes life easier on his quarterback. We saw it last year. We may have seen it for the last decade with Russell Wilson, quite frankly. There's some evidence based on what we saw last year that that's very much true. That Russell needs the right system to be effective. Not a huge surprise to anybody. And that Pete is busy designing a philosophy that makes life easier on his quarterback. He's not alone in that. I mean, that, that's what Sean McVay is trying to do. That's what a lot of the better, so certainly what uh, Shanahan's trying to do in, in San Francisco. They're trying to ease pressure on a guy and on a position that is pulled in so many different directions. Very few can do it at that elite level. And even the ones who do need to be put in the right system in order to take advantage of their strengths. That's why I was never into letting Russ cook or any of that stuff, because I didn't think it was the right system for Russ. It's not to say that there's not a way to succeed throwing the ball all over the yard. Just didn't think it was the right system for Russ, that his strengths were elsewhere, even if he didn't want them to be. Yeah, I I mean, I think that that was proven last year. (laughs) It seemed like it. Right. I mean, yeah. like it, it, it sure seemed to have been proven, but, you know, that's OK. Uh, I think Pete has done a really good job of creating something that is sustainable. And by the way, they did throw it a little bit more last year. Why? I think he had a quarterback. He felt like he could trust with some of those intermediate routes that everyone thought was so important. He had a quarterback that had different skills from Russ. Gino at his best versus Russ at his best. I'm going to take Russ. Because I think that it, it, it just had so it was so much more dynamic I mean, at the right 4, time. Four thousand yards is, is that's not a you know rushing team. No, it was a team a rushing only team like people like to think they are, which they never were either. It's so ridiculous. I mean, these narratives it's so funny how they get started and then it's very difficult once they start heading downhill. They snowball on you, and I, I think that was a narrative that that snowballed. They do want to run the ball. They did, and they still do. They are looking for ways to ease the pressure on the quarterback. And I think it's one of the reasons Gino had success last year. Gino also was very successful because he played well. And they used his best skills to bring out the best in him. It worked. He's better over the middle. He's better doing some of the things that he did last year than Russell is. And you got to see it by watching both players over the course of 17 games last year. So good on Pete. And, and, and I do hope that people go into this year with a little bit more trust in him than they did a year ago based on what he pulled off last season and what I think he and Russ both showed the world. That's why the Russell story was so interesting, important, and relevant here in Seattle last year because it wasn't just what it showed about Russ. It's what it showed about Pete. It's what it showed about Pete as well. We got Brock. Is that what you're telling me? On the phone? Okay, he's on the phone. phone. Hi, buddy. How we doing? This is Brock and Sock's Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Sock. Hi, buddy. Hi. How we doing? Not good. Yeah, not good. You know, not... I've not lost my I've not lost my ministry uh, yet, 
for my testimonial. <laughs> what happens when you do? Uh, not, uh, what's that? What happens when you lose that? Well, then I got to go to church twice, as you know. Um, oh, remember last I see. I so you haven't four. cursed yet. I have not cursed yet, but I've been on the verge. So, uh, but I'm here and I'm running in. We'll be uh, fully connected here sooner rather than later. Okay. We'll do this Blue 88 on the phone here and okay. make it happen. Okay. Should we do the... Ch- ch- <laughs> Would that help? Would that help make you feel a little bit better? Oh, gosh. Thankfully, you and Maura and Justin are great teammates. That's all I got to say. Yes, we try. We try. Well, it's good to have you back, at least on the phone for a few minutes and then uh, in studio here in just a sec. Let's do a little Blue 88. We've missed you for this. Uh, Question number one. We spoke quite a bit about this, and it's funny. It blew up this uh, conversation I had with Greg Bishop about uh, about Russ potentially going to Philadelphia. I thought that we already knew this, that this was kind of common knowledge that Russ was basically dealt to Philly and he killed the deal because he didn't want to go to the Eagles. But what would life have been like if that had happened? Uh, dramatically different. Can I hear Greg Bishop's details sure. on this? Because I'm, I'm with you. Like you and I had chatted about this. I guess we didn't, I don't know, make it declarative or a big enough proclamation for all the media outlets to jump on it as they did after after Greg was on with you. But let me hear from Greg's perspective exactly why this went viral. Well, your impression is correct. You know, I think that deal is closer than people know, you know, and I think Pete would have loved him. You know, he's exactly Pete's kind of player. You know, I've done a million of these uh, quarterback profiles, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, like pretty much the whole gamut. And Jalen is easily the most self-assured guy I've ever dealt with. Guy who knows exactly who he is. A guy who doesn't deviate at all. Yeah, Greg also seemed to think that maybe it was that Russ didn't want to be dealt at that point. And I don't think that's the case. I think Russ just straight up didn't want to go to Philly. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you on that. And, you know, from pretty close firsthand knowledge, about as close as you can get with somebody not named Russell, uh, that was the understanding as well, is that, that Seattle really wanted to trade him to Philly and I think was going to have a better package back, frankly, uh, from Philadelphia than ultimately what they got from Denver. But Russell had, like a lot of baseball players have, no trade clause, and he exercised it. Help me with one little detail here, because I think it's important when it comes to Geno. When did Geno sign back last year with the Seahawks? Justin Morris, Salk, you guys remember, was that in... Was that right before OTAs began? And like that was after Russell got traded, right? I mean, that was certainly Russell got well, traded in early was, March. Carol was making comments at the combine, like we really need to get Geno signed. We'd like to have him back here, mm-hmm. and kind of like, come on, we we want to see you around. Yeah, so he was making those comments. About two weeks later, they trade Russell, and then they signed Geno. So I, I, my my ex, my speculation, and this is where it turns to speculation. The early part is is not speculation. What was that, Maura? March 6th. So he did sign back March 6th. So that was just days before they dealt Russ. So they wanted... So here's my speculation. Is if they would have traded with Philadelphia, I don't think Geno Smith signed back. (laughs) Total opinion, total speculation. But based on that, knowing that the trade conversations were ongoing, knowing that those were, 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 were being done in January, they were done at the Combine in February, that ultimately Geno doesn't sign until March 6th, just days before they trade... Well, they trade for Russell because I think they obviously did not have, you know, the faith in Drew Locke that, hey, we don't need Gino. We need Gino first. We'll bring Drew Locke in second. We'll let those guys compete. I think if they trade for Jalen Hurts, again, speculation, but my gut is if they trade for Philly and they get Jalen Hurts, 
I don't think Gino's here. <laughs> and think about that. You know, what you just talked about, the remarkable story that was Gino this year, as big as Russell was, it was bigger because of what Gino did too. And if if that trade with Philly goes down, Gino Smith may not ever have this opportunity. I don't know who else on the market would have signed him, right? I mean, he, he had gone huge stretches to the point that he talked about going to the CFL. That is how crazy and amazing and remarkable this story is well, he, when, when you fast forward to 12 months later. He definitely would have signed, though, before going to the CFL, I think. I, yeah, I think he would have. What would have been the market? Would he have signed back here? Yeah, he would have would signed have here wanted? before going to the CFL. Yeah, but would they have signed him yes. had they had Jalen Hurts? Yes, I think they would have. You think they still would have? Yes. Why, why not? I mean, they still would have needed another quarterback. Why wouldn't they have signed him? They didn't know he was going to be the starter when they signed him. That's probably fair. Jalen, obviously, you know, is, uh, I think, beats him out at that point. <laughs> I, I think. Maybe. I or think maybe so. Not. I mean, yeah, it's or a very interesting not. sliding doors. Jalen Hurts. <laughs> Here's the deal. Here's the deal. One of the two doesn't have generational money. One of those two guys, <laughs> if Russell got to Philadelphia, either Jalen Hurts or Geno Smith, some 12 months later, does not sign the enormous generational mm. contract that both of them were able to get done. All right. Question number two. All right. Speaking of Geno, what was the best part of his game last year that he's going to need to try to replicate this next year? Yeah, I was looking at some numbers over the weekend, just kind of knowing that mandatory minicamp is this week, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, over the course of the show and the rest of this week. What he did with his deep ball sulk was was the most outrageous of all. I mean, of everything he did in all of the surprises of last season, when you actually dig into those deep ball numbers from an efficiency standpoint, all of the next level stats, the accuracy on those throws, the nearly 50% accuracy on those deep throws, the number of touchdowns, Mike, there was nobody, nobody in the league that, that competed with him and compared. I mean, they were off the charts. And if you would have said to me before the season began last year, where do you think, or at the end of mandatory minicamp, where do you think Gino and Drew, where do you think they, they could be better than Russ? Well, they could be better in the screen game. They could be better over the middle of the field. They could be better on some of those areas that, that obviously, you know, Russell's not his strength. But to be better than Russell Wilson on the deep ball, are you out of your mind? There is no way in the world that's ever going to happen. And that's exactly what it did. And he wasn't just better than Russell. He was better than just about everybody in the league when you look at the next level stats. If he replicates that with the additions that they have made, look out. He may even top his numbers from 2020. Well, and again, that's what Pete wants, right? Chuck, I mean, he wants chunk plays. So not a surprise that he found yet another person who's really good at that. Question number three. You mentioned that we start mandatory mini camp tomorrow, Brock. How does how does the world change once you get into mandatory mini camp as opposed to what we've seen so far in OTAs? Yeah, there is a little more intensity because the light's at the end of the tunnel. There just naturally is. Like you go through all these phases of the off season. It starts in mid April with the running and the lifting and the conditioning, and then two weeks later, a football gets introduced and it's one side of the ball and the other, and then. You know, the next phase three, which they've been in, and you and Maura have been out watching. They actually get to practice in 11 on 11, and they actually, you know, get to do pretty much, you know, full speed without the pads. And mandatory minicamp doesn't change as far as pads going on. None of that happens, but this is it. I mean, this is the last three plus days that these rookies, that these newcomers, that these free agents get 
before training camp begins when they when they return. Now, a bunch of them will stick around and lift and throw, but as far as with the coaches on tape, being judged, every move you make, these are the last three-plus days of it. And because of it, there was always a little added bump. There was always a little added intensity. This was your final chance, especially for those guys, I don't know, 60 through 80 on the roster. Uh, you know, if they weren't already going full speed, they're going to do it this week because they know – they're in a little bit of a tenuous spot that this roster could change. The moves could be made, a, a trade here, a cut here, a, a, an addition there over the next month or so before training camp. So a little bit more intensity. Obviously, Jamal and Jordan come back because they don't want to be fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for missing mandatory minicamp. Um, so that will be different. You'll see the presence of everybody, including the injured guys. But, yeah, I think some of the intensity you'll feel – on the practice field as you go out and watch them a little bit. Awesome. All right, that's uh, Blue 88. Nice to have Brock back to uh, help us answer some of these important pressing football questions. Yeah, it's so funny that that blew up, I think, because somebody in Philly heard it, and the next thing you know, it became like a whole thing that, that Russ you know, nearly went to Philadelphia. But I, I, again, I kind of thought that was mostly common knowledge here in Seattle. We've certainly referenced it in the past that, you know, he killed that deal because he had his no-trade clause, which is one of the reasons John couldn't get even more for him than he did. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's because it's never been out of Pete or John's mouth or Howie Roseman's mouth. And as hard as Mike Florio may try with Howie Roseman, <laughs> he's not going to get that answer either. So I don't think any of them are going to officially speak about it. And maybe that's why, yeah, to us it was common knowledge, but to to, to most it was not. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it was there. Remember, Philadelphia had two first round picks this year, and you get Jalen Hurts back. And, but ultimately, you know, I think Russ looked at that situation for two reasons. Said Philly, no thanks, not that market. And then more importantly was the amount of control, that he could go to Denver and really control so much of what he wanted to do, mm-hmm. so much so that he could control the playbook, and that was not going to happen in Philly. Moore made an interesting point, though. If he goes somewhere to Philly, if he did go to Philly, where he wasn't in control, would he have had a better season? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's so yes. ridiculous, isn't that? Would he have had an unbelievable defense? Yes. Could they have run the ball and play action? Yes. Amazing. Could he have fit in pretty innovative offense and, and, and people in Philadelphia, I think, do an excellent job? Yes. Unbelievable. I think all of those things, if you look at it, were probably, probably yes. And if he could have got out of his own way and some of his own hubris, he definitely would not have had the season he had a year well, ago. Well, I don't know anything about that, getting out of your own way or some of your own hubris. It's certainly not a statement that would make any sense to me whatsoever. And with that in mind, we'll talk some Mariners next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710.